Oftentimes, when the kids come to my program, they, they've never seen a Lego move. So these Legos have motors and they have sensors. They can interact. They can, you know, detect motion and sound. So to, to watch a child who has probably built Lego, you know, many many times in, in in their life, to come to my camp and to build something and then to program it and and to make it move, you know, to to watch the. The, the, the joy that they that they have, you can see it, um, you know, when when their robot starts moving or driving around the room. So it just adds a whole new dimension to building when you can actually make something move. In the summertime, the fun really has to come first, right? They're, they're still learning. It's just sure. maybe um, they're, they're they're learning through play. And you know, we're talking about gear ratios. How can we get the car to go faster? What if we change these gears? That is Kevin Hudson from the Howmanning School in Middleton, Massachusetts, who joins us to discuss the importance of extracurricular activities for both the students and the teachers. Join us as it's time to get schooled with Mr. S. Hello and welcome back to another show. My name is Mr. S, and today we have a special show lined up for you. Did you ever play Legos as a kid? Did you build a fort or a house, or did you get the pirate ship kit? Well, Kevin Husson has created a program called Seacoast Technology Workshops that takes Legos to the next level. He provides hands-on Lego robotics and video game design instruction as he focuses lessons around building with Legos. And I think it's so important, the co-curricular or extracurricular activities for students. It's just a great way for kids to bond with each other. So you find kids with a unique interest and to make those great connections with teachers. Because in all honesty, we don't teach subjects, we teach kids. So if you're able to make those connections outside the school day, it really helps inside the classroom. Over the years, I've had a lot of fun clubs. I've run chess club. I've run math team. I've run Password, the old Password Word Game Club. And what I notice is the kids who come back year after year make great friendships, great stories. And it's just a side of school that makes the day more fun. And I think it gives them something to look forward to. So I've had great success with the extracurricular work. But my friend and colleague, Kevin Husson, has really taken it to the next level. And I think you'll enjoy learning about his experiences. So stay with us and meet Kevin Husson. Find out about his career as a fourth grade teacher and learn what his workshops are all about. Coming up next on Get Schooled with Mr. S. When I got into the podcast game, I had no idea what I was doing. I needed advice someone to bounce ideas off of, and someone to handle all the back-end production work. Bearcat Group helped guide me through the process. They work with me on the feel of the show, rundowns, and help set up all the equipment in my house. They even helped me create my show's artwork and social handles. I was in good hands with the team at Bearcat Group. They really worked hard to make me feel comfortable. Bearcat Group offers experienced editors and engineers, professional producers, and a totally virtual production process. 24-hour turnaround time on recordings, publishing, and distribution options. They even have equipment you can rent if needed. Now that Get Schooled with Mr. S is up and running, 
They produce, edit, and publish the podcast, leaving me just to worry about the content of the show. If you are looking to start an audio or video podcast, check them out, bearcatgroup.com, and speak with them about your vision, and they'll make it happen. That's bearcatgroup.com. They make podcasting easy. to welcome Kevin Husson to get schooled. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi, Keith. It's uh, it's great to connect with you again here and uh, looking forward to this. So um, thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks for your time. And um, could you tell a little bit about your career experience as a teacher? Sure. Well, um, it's I, I've been teaching in, in the same district now for, this is my 26th year. So um, which uh, I think is pretty typical for for many teachers. Um, just kind of spend your career perhaps in one location. So I've been teaching fourth grade in Middleton, Massachusetts. Uh, I think since 1995. So um, it's it's hard to believe when when you stop and think that it, it's been 26 years. But um, so that that's where I've been, and pretty much primarily in fourth grade. Other than a few few years where I taught fifth grade, um, but that that's where I am right now. And what led you to become a teacher? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, I remember for, for me as a child, you know, fourth grade for me wasn't a, a positive experience for me. Um, school what wasn't fun. And um, in, in fifth grade, I had my first male teacher and he just really um, w- was able to, he was a role model for me and, and just made schools more fun. And I, I, I fell in love with school again, fell in, in love with him in, 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 in some respects. Um, to the point where he and I are still friends, um, you know, even, well, now it's been 35 years later, we are still friends and, and I see him virtually, um, you know, once a week, not now during the pandemic. So just to see uh, how much he meant to me in fifth grade and the connection that we had. And, um, you know, for me, I think at that at that point, I, I realized um, perhaps that was something I wanted to do. And, and later on, just uh, as I got to high school, um, we kind of reconnected. He changed careers and he became my high school guidance counselor as well. So um, that was a chance for us to sort of redevelop that relationship that started at, at 10 years old and I was now 18. And um, so I think, you know, that, that that role model for me, Skip Tobin, um, was someone who really inspired me, um, you know, to want to be a teacher in the future. So. And, and when I was a first year teacher, I was so happy to have you uh, on my team because it was nice to have another guy in an elementary school. I think there's a little kinship with uh, male teachers. I've gone on to teach middle school, but we're, men are still in the minority. So it's always nice. To, I think there's a nice camaraderie between guys as as I have a group of friends that Kevin is one of them that we meet, try to meet once a year. And it's just nice to recap old memories. Do you agree with that uh, kinship of men in education? I, I do, Keith. And those were some some great, great years. Um, you know, back then we had we had several men um, on the staff, which was pretty rare for elementary school. So um, I, I would agree. You know, it, it definitely it, it's unique. Being a male in the elementary school um, is different. You know, I've been in district wide meetings where there are 50, 60, 70 people in the room. This was obviously pre pandemic. Uh, and, and I was the only male in the room. So um, it, it definitely, you know, it, it's 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 different. You know, um, I, I'm lucky that I, I work with some some fantastic women. Um, they're, they're all just wonderful. So and um, 
you know, it, it's uh, but definitely different. You know, there's there's not a lot of men um, around um, at times. So you definitely um, it's it, it, uh, it, it's unique, I think so. But uh, again, I, I'm just lucky to work with some fabulous um, uh, women who've been come great friends of mine over the years, too. So um, it's been good. That's that's really good. And I, I would agree. I have friends from both genders, obviously, from teaching. I still see the special connection guy to guy because it is it is a different feel. I think we bring a, um, a nice perspective to it all. How's the COVID era going for you as a teacher? Yeah, this this is, you know, I think we've all we've all faced some challenges for sure. Um, you know, like a lot of people um, started out the year last spring, we all went remote and, you know, Middleton has been back in, in person um, where, where I teach since October. So we were kind of um, sort of a leader, I guess, in, in getting kids back into the classroom. So um, we've been back you know, basically full time since October, but there have been you know, lots of challenges um, along the way, but just trying to, um, you know, make make the most of it, I guess it's. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, uh, you know, we're making it work, I think. And, and that's probably the best way to describe it right now is just um, making it work. And um, it's, you know, it, it's an old cliche it used to be one day at a time. I think uh, during this pandemic, it's been, you know, a 10 minutes at a time. Right. So just trying to uh, get through um, what the next challenge is. But we're, we're, we're making it work. And what adaptations have you made in your teaching to help get through? I know I've made some myself. Well, I think one of the things, um, well, when we were uh, in Zoom back in the fall and last June, I was just trying to find some asynchronous off-screen activities. So you worry about the kid. And I have children myself, too, my own two children. You worry about you know the, the screen time and, and how much time these, these students are spending on screen. So once, once the students got back to the building in person, um, you know, I, I kind of tried to find ways to to get them off the screens and trying to it's hard. It's hard to do. You, you can't do the things you normally do where the kids are in groups and working together because we're all masked up and we're, we're six feet apart. So for me, it's been, you know, just trying to find ways to get them off the screen, off the Zoom camera and just try to do some more, you know, traditional paper and pencil um workbook, not, not all workbooks, paper and pencil, but again, just trying to get them off the zoom screen. So hands-on activities at their desks and things like that. So, um, that, that's probably been one of the, the challenges for me is just trying to reduce the screen time, I think. And, and one of the things that caught my eye as a young teacher, in 2001, I said, wow, Kevin is really good with tech. Have you always been a tech forward teacher? Um, and then I would like to launch into what you do in over the summer. Yeah, so I, I think uh, you know, and it, it's funny. My career, the the twenty six years that I've been in education. I mean, I started with uh, chalkboards. You know, my first year of teaching, I had a, a chalkboard, and you had to order chalk every every year as part of your back to school supplies. And we had an overhead projector, and there was one computer that was wheeled around on a cart. <laughs> you know, and that was every class got their you know their half hour with this old Apple computer. So, uh, and, and now we're at the point where every kid has their own, you know, one-to-one ratio of laptops and computers. So I've seen, um, certainly, you know, a, a tremendous, um, growth from virtually zero, uh, technology to, to, you know, every child having their own device. So, um, yeah, for me, it, it's, it's, um, I think I was able to kind of sort of, um, I came in at the right time. So it was, it was new for everybody. So the computers and technology and, 
and all of that uh, was new for everyone. So for me, it um, it was, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of it. So for me, um, I, I sort of embraced the, the new technologies, computers, and anything that came, um, you know, to any new initiative that involved technology. I was always someone who wanted to jump on it and, and just try to get 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 my feet wet, so to speak. So. Um, to the point now where I, I definitely feel as though I'm fairly proficient um, with technology and it's it's kind of morphed into that sort of side gig that that, that I, I run as well. So as you get older, is the technology wheel harder to keep up with? In other words, in 2000, it, you probably were right right at the top, right, with technology. Do you still yeah. feel you're there or are you more towards the middle or how do, how do you see yourself in that aspect? I find sometimes that it changes so quickly. You know, it seems like every, every, at least for a while, every six months, there was a, a new app. Hey, you got to try this. You got to try this. Well, you know, I'm still learning that the app that we shared or the new technology that you shared last September. So for me, it was always, uh, it, it, the changes were happening so fast. Um, not that I couldn't keep up. It was just that, you know, can we just pick a couple things and really and stick with it, right? So I, I think Google Classroom is a good example. It seems like once we had uh, adopted the Google Classroom management system, you know, that's something that is really stuck. So I feel like at least we have something, and it's great. I love Google Classroom. I'm, I'm sure you use it as well. It's a great way to um, to, to, to run your classroom, e- even at fourth grade. So, and it was especially um, beneficial during, um, you know, during the pandemic, right? So it's just been nice to finally find something that we can just really hold on to. And, 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 and again, I'm always open to, to learning new, um, new, trying out new things and new websites, but I just kind of really wanted to just gravitate or, or let's pick two or three that we really know work well, and let's just use those tools. And so that for me has been, um, something I've tried to tried to focus on. You have a really a, amazing uh, summer workshops and camps that you run. How did that, how'd you get that off the ground? And, and can you give us a little background about what you do and, and how that has blossomed over the years? All right. Well, sure. It, it, it's a long story. And, and honestly, it probably goes back to my childhood. So um, growing up in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, we were always outside. That was something we did. Uh, you came home from school, you put your play co- clothes on, you went outside, street hockey, football. So we were always outside. So, but what little time when we were inside, I should say, in the winter, the colder months, I, I was always just playing with Lego. That was without a doubt my, my favorite toy. So I just have memories of Saturday morning waking up, running downstairs and, and putting on the Saturday morning cartoons and dumping that bin of Legos onto the floor. My brother and I would just build and build and build. Um, so that's kind of how it, you know, my love for Lego sort of started. And then like a lot of people, I kind of went into my dark ages. And once I became a teen in high school, you know, the Legos just sat in a bin, you know, in in the attic. And then it was during my second year of teaching, uh, there was this new grant, a a grant um, was proposed where they were looking for teachers to use Lego in their classroom. Lego has a separate division called Lego Education, where they market and sell Lego kits to uh, to schools. I think you've actually used some, Keith, in the years yes, past. Yes, I remember that. Fourth grade, the simple machines kits and things. They were great. So, yeah, yeah, right, absolutely. So, so Lego. Uh, so, for I jumped on the chance, you know, to sign me up for this um, grant, and it was a year long. 
uh, program. We collaborated with other districts and the kids had to invent and, and it, it got the kids. It, it was a really fun, fun project for me. So that was really what what kind of rekindled my 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 love for Lego again. It's like, wow, this is great. Here I am. I'm doing something I love, which is teaching fourth grade. And I get to work with Lego. It was it was a dream come true for me. So um so that's how I got started. And then a couple years later, probably around early, early 2000s, a friend of mine um, was running, she ran a summer camp at the Beverly, um, Beverly, the Shore Country Day School in Beverly had a summer program. And she was looking for someone to come run the Lego program for their summer camp. So I said, you know, sure. Um, so she, uh, I think I worked a couple weeks that summer. And it was great. It was a summer camp program, and 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 it was the Lego, um, the Lego, the technology and the engineering and, and the the Lego aspect of it. That was kind of a new new thing. So Lego had been around for a while, so everyone had Legos, but um, you know, very few people had seen Legos that had motors and computers attached to them and programming. That that was kind of a unique thing. So it was a very popular. Um, kids were looking forward to that. So um, this this was in. Uh, in Beverly, Massachusetts is where this, where actually I grew up, funny story. I literally grew up behind, um, the shore country day school as a child and we used to play baseball in the field. So, um, here I was, you know, many years later running a, uh, a Lego camp in the summer, literally a hundred yards from the house where I grew up. So, um, so that got, so that was great. So I worked a couple summers there and it was like, wow, this is great as a teacher, uh, a little extra money coming in, in the summertime, get to do something I love. I had recently been married and, and had a baby on the way, so it, it was uh, it was kind of a, a perfect uh, perfect match for me in the summertime. And then, for whatever reason, the, the program just just ended. Uh, they just canceled their summer camp program, so I was kind of out of a job for the summer. And again, mentioned had a new baby on the way. I think my my wife was pregnant at the time with our first child, and it was like, wow, all right, I, I need a job. So um, I needed to have a, a a job in the summer, a second job. So. I basically the following winter just started uh, pitching the idea to a number of different um, rec departments. I just called my hometown in, in Hampton, New Hampshire. I said, "Hey, listen, um, you know, my name's Kevin Husson. I'm a fourth grade teacher. I've been teaching for ten years. Um, I have this idea for a Lego program." And they said, "Sure, what the heck? We'll, we'll give it a shot." So they put it in their summer brochure as a, as a, a summer camp. And I called Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is not too far from where I live, and same thing. They, they put me up uh, in, in their summer brochure and it, it really took off. Like but both both programs just filled up really quickly and we were sold out that first summer. And it was then I was realized, hey, boy, I'm kind of onto something here. Right. So um, I ended up filling two weeks and then pretty soon word spread. Um, other towns said, hey, you know, can you come run your camp in our uh, program, our town rather? So I ended up, you know, working in places like Danvers, Massachusetts, Newburyport. I was Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So um, I ended up growing the business to where I was running camps probably four, five, six weeks of summer. And eventually I was turning places down because there was only one of me. And, you know, I can't be in 14 different towns in, a, in an eight-week summer. So that that's kind of how um, how it all got started. And um, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's my long-winded story there. The running joke over the years, like a rock star, you have the t-shirt with the, the name, the town you're in, and then the week you're in. So it, it's pretty yeah. impressive the way it's yeah. built up. 
Yeah, it, it was so, it, it, and it was. It's it's a great. It's a fun. You know, it, it combines again. My love of Lego is just it. It, it runs. Um, it runs deep. It, I still have. I, I joke. I still have every single Lego brick I ever had as a child. Um, they're still in a bin down in my basement. I I told my parents, whatever you do, I need you to hold on to my baseball cards and my Lego. That was it. So so I have all of that, and uh, it it was just the perfect um, perfect job and. I had often heard, you know, it's been said before, but, it, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, right? I, I love teaching. I, I love what I do. But this was really um, just the, the perfect job for me is teaching children and um, playing with Legos every day. And it was just really um, just a perfect job, job for me. And and the name you coined was Seacoast Technology Workshops. Was that around from the beginning? Did you coin that name at some point along the way? How did yeah. That- I kind of just worked as a sole proprietor, you know, um, the early days. And then it was, I I really wanted to kind of maybe take that next step and just sort of have a brand. So I I live in the seacoast of of New Hampshire. So Hampton, New Hampshire, um, New Hampshire only has, I want to say it's 12 or 13 miles of coastline. So we're kind of nestled right there in the middle of the New Hampshire coastline in Hampton. So the whole area is referred um, to the the seacoast. So for me, it was just, uh, I don't know what really, it just one day just popped in my head, Seacoast Technology Workshops. Um, I, I did eventually morph into um, computer coding and gaming. So w- what had happened um, is, you know, when I originally started this, uh, I was really the only game in town. There weren't a lot of people doing what I do. Um, so, but over the years, it became more popular and all of a sudden I had some competition and, and there were more people who were offering to run these Lego camps and you had um, you know, companies coming in that were sort of national franchises and they, they were running Lego camps. So I had some competition and the tough part for me was I really only ran my business during the summer. Um, you know, during the fall and the school year I'm teaching. So a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of my time obviously is dedicated to that. So these companies were running after school programs and things and, and I was sort of losing my, my market share. So I had to sort of figure out a, a kind of pivot and figure out a, a new plan. So I started teaching video game designing and and coding to kids, and that that actually turned out to be to be a, a wise move on my part because I kind of diversified what I was offering every summer. So um, and what I ended up doing that uh, I, I invested in some laptops. That was a big thing for me. I had to really um, you know I, I took out a small loan. And invested in a whole fleet of laptops, which allowed me to take my show on the road, if you will. So a lot of companies um, who come in and do what I do, they rely on the computer lab at the middle school or the high school. And um, that gets to be tricky. Some towns don't want other people using their equipment and and installing software. So for me, purchasing the laptops, um, again, I I think in hindsight, really what was a, a great move for me and enabled me to uh, diversify what I offer and also, like I said, to take the, the Lego and the, the video gaming coding classes um, virtually anywhere. So that, that part was, was great for me. What's your target audience? So is it upper elementary, middle school? Like what, what, um, what grades tend to take your classes and what, what do they learn? Like, let's say they like Legos, they know how to build. So your target audience and what, what are their best takeaways from your workshops? That's a, that's a great question. So um, for me, I, I've always loved, you know, fourth grade has always been sort of my wheelhouse of where I feel most comfortable as a teacher. 
Um, I would say my average uh, typical student, though, is probably in second or, or third grade. So I, I market the classes um, for grades one through six. I don't typically um, you know, draw too many sixth grade students. They, they, that's when you start to kind of enter those dark ages um, until you become an adult fan of Lego later in life. So um, typically grades one, two, three, four, I'll get some fifth graders. Um, so every, every child that, that comes to my camp, um, everyone has used Lego before, right? They have Lego at home. This is not something new. But for oftentimes when the kids come to my program, they, they've never seen a Lego move. So these Legos have motors and they have sensors. They can interact. They can you know, detect motion and sound. So to, to watch a child who has probably built Lego you know, many, many times in, in, in their life, to come to my camp and to build something and then to program it and, and to make it move, you know, to, to watch the, 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 the joy that they, that they have, you can see it, um, you know, when, when their robot starts moving or driving around the room. So it just adds a whole new dimension to building when you can actually make something move. It, it really just changes the whole experience for these kids. Plus, you know, again, not, um, you know, COVID really changed things for me last summer. That was a whole nother, oh, I'm sure. uh, you know, uh, ball of wax last summer. But in a normal environment, you know, the, when the kids could interact. So every class we would have maybe like a robot battles and the kids would smash them up. And so there's so much fun when you have, you know, 10, 12 other children and, and we're all racing our cars. Um, you know, we're racing our cars across the gym and and um, you know th there's also there is a lot of learning um, go going on as well. So um, what's happening here is in school, I've always felt that the the, the learning has to come first, but you obviously you want to try to make the lessons fun. In the summertime, the fun really has to come first, right? They're, they're still learning. It's just sure. maybe um, they're, they're, they're learning through play. And you know, we're talking about gear ratios. How can we get the car to go faster? What if we change these gears? Or what if we reduce the friction? You know, th these rubber tires are really on, um, you know, they're on too tight. And you can see the rubber is rubbing against the plastic. Let's try to reduce the friction. So I do always try to find ways to sort of integrate and, and make sure they, uh, they're, they're learning and reinforcing, um, you know, things that may be taught in school, but it's definitely learning, learning through play. So they, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's just fun to watch the kids when they, when they bring their creation to, to life. And again, and having other students in the class, I think makes it more fun for them. They, they can interact with each other. And as a dad of two daughters, grades three and five, I noticed the Lego friends and they love those sets. And my fifth grader, you know, she builds these. They have over a thousand pieces. It looks like Legos made a concerted effort to get girls into the mix. Uh, what percent of you students are girls? Uh, I would say a typical class, maybe, uh, I would probably say 10, 10 to 20 percent. Um, the numbers definitely increased. But there was one time I had a class. It, it was great. I think I only had eight students signed up, but five were girls. It, it, it wow. was great. And I, I have a daughter myself, too. So and she went through all the Lego Friends uh, sets as well. So it's uh, it's certainly great um, to, to see girls getting involved and, and, and Lego, you know, trying to, um, you know, brand themselves to include everyone. So but the friend sets certainly are, are great. I, I know a lot of adult fans of Lego, they call them Affles, uh, A-F-O-L. They love the friend sets because the friend sets have brought a whole new palette of colors uh, for, for building. So um, the Lego friends have really been been great. That's great. Um, yeah. Nice to, 
you're getting a new audience, an audience who might not have gotten in the 70s and 80s to, to, to the scene. And the, I wanted to uh, ask you, we're talking about your summer work and these obviously very successful as a business. Are you able to incorporate some of the Lego stuff between September and June in the regular school year? Yeah, I, I do. You know, it's funny. One thing the pandemic has actually um, sort of, it's, uh, I guess you're sort of, um, you know, I wouldn't say a blessing, but I, I've had to morph into morph my business model, I guess, is that uh, during the last summer, what I had to do was try to offer all, all of my camps were, were basically canceled, right? Nobody was planning in-person um, programs last summer with the COVID and the pandemic. So I had to offer some programs virtually. So the Legos doesn't, Legos don't really translate well to virtual learning, sure. but the coding classes did. So I was able to offer some summer programming virtually, but what it did do is, is this fall, as I realized, Hey, um, I can actually run a virtual uh, coding class for, from four 30 to six o'clock from my house. So I don't, I didn't have the time to travel to a town, let's say after school or after work, but the, the Zoom platform has really kind of opened a new market for me and made me realize that there are ways to do what I do and, and run my business even in the cold winter months from my home. So uh, that, that's been a positive for me um, for a certain, you know, turning the, the pandemic, I guess, in, into some kind of positive as a way to sort of grow my business in some capacity. And for anyone in our audience, Kevin, uh, do you have any advice about getting something started off the ground? Uh, we could have an audience anywhere really on the globe. And let's say they're interested in starting something over the summer or maybe on weekends. What advice would you give them to get going? I would say, Keith, is to, is to find a passion. You know, find a passion. And th there are there are camps, summer camps and programs for everything. There's cupcake camp. There's baking. I mean, there, there, you name it, there's a summer camp for it now. So if you can find something that you have a passion for it, it, you know, that that's, where I would start. Um, th there is a, there is a big market out there for, for summer camps. I think, especially heading into this summer, I think a lot of parents are going to be looking to get their kids into in-person environments provided it's safe, obviously. But I, I think a lot of parents are really clamoring to get their kids back into those face-to-face -face, um, programs with other children. So I, I would start with a passion. Um, and it's so easy today, I think, to market yourself with social media, Facebook, Instagram. You can really um, spread the word about your program, whatever you want to do. I would also recommend is, is reaching out to a lot of town recreation departments. So what's nice about when you team up with them is they help you, they, they handle the overhead, the registration, the marketing. So they do a lot of the the, the groundwork um, for me. And then, you know, I show up with my, my materials and run, run the program and then, and then go home. So that, that's how I might um, recommend people get started is find something you love to do and reach out to a recreation department um, and, and pitch your idea. And for listeners in our immediate area, Kevin, how would they, what's the best way to uh, gain information on your program and maybe sign up for something this summer? Yeah. So th thanks. Sure. So I, I maintain a Facebook page. It's a Seacoast Technology Workshop. So if you just search that and, and under Facebook on the search bar, you will, um, you know, you'll find us on Facebook. So Seacoast Technology Workshops, Facebook, and you'll certainly find, you know, I, I post all the events. So right now we're planning summer, um, again, assuming everything is, is safe and we can do it safely with um, CDC guidelines. So we are planning Hopefully, to, to offer some programs in person this summer, um, 
But again, Facebook at Seacoast Technology Workshops. Okay. And we will add those links in the description of this episode. Um, and now, a little off topic, but Kevin and I have gone back and forth for 20 years about the Rangers and Bruins. Uh, what do you think? Division rivals this year. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say, I, I really, I, I like this. I, I, I like the back-to-back game. You know, the Rangers really thumped the Bruins. Well, yeah, the first game was 6-2, to two, and the Bruins kind of redeemed themselves on Sunday. They had a, Bruins had a rough back-to-back there Thursday, Friday. So I knew there wouldn't um, be three clunkers in a row there, Kevin. I just Well, yeah, they're, 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 you know, I, I think, I, you know, I, I felt that too. That was kind of a, felt that was a must-win game for the Bruins on, on Sunday. They really had to redeem themselves there after get, getting embarrassed for two consecutive nights. So it was good to see them bounce back. So I, I think it's great. Original six matchup, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I just uh, – I, I think it's been great. I, I, I like the um, – I like I like the teams playing you know back to back or those sort of two game series. I I think it really um, adds to the the, um, and, uh, the the emotion of the game, and I think there's a you you can get that instant payback, right? So if, if something is brewing in the first game, you know you're going to see that team two nights later versus maybe six weeks down the road, right? So I I, I think it's I think it's great. Um, so go go Bruins. <laughs> Well, I may have to book you again in July for a little uh, Stanley Cup Finals recap and see how the summer workshops are going. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for appearing on Get Schooled. Uh, check them out, Seacoast Technology Workshops on Facebook. Kevin, it was great having you. Keith, it, it was really a pleasure. This was my first time ever um, taking part in a podcast, so I was kind of uh, didn't know what to expect, but this, this was great, and it's always um Nice to reconnect with you. So um, thank you Absolutely. so much for having me. I feel me. the same. I feel our listener number is going to go through the roof this week. I'm oh, yeah. It. Well, I really, honestly, the, the real purpose for me joining here was to get your ratings up. I mean, we all know that, right? So, haha. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Get Schooled with Mr. S. You see, cause technology workshops sound like a terrific program. Now it's time for my raise your hand portion of the show where we answer listeners' questions. I feel it's important to hear from parents and teachers from around the nation and share our collective experiences. So in order for you to get in touch with the show, you may tweet us at getschooled underscore pod or email us getschooledwithmrs at gmail.com. So raise your hand and join the conversation like Mr. Business from Atlanta. Mr. S, I question the accuracy of Miss Baker's story about Lou Williams' past no, just kidding. Well, maybe we may have to have uh, Miss Whitridge back on the program to uh, verify the story, Mr. Business. Thank you so much for raising your hand. Our next question comes from James in Arizona. I am concerned about my kid not learning the things he needed to learn during remote and hybrid classrooms this year. He is in seventh grade, which is an important year, and I am concerned he may have fallen behind. What do you recommend he does this summer to make up for a tough year of school? Thanks, and I'm enjoying the podcast. Thanks for raising your hand, James. I think a lot of parents have come to me with this question, and I think the first thing is to just to take a deep breath on it. I think we'll all be okay. You know, we all had a tough year in the COVID era. Yes, there may be some learning loss, but I don't think it is catastrophic. Um, so to that end, don't stress your son or daughter out. It will be okay is my overreaching message. However, I am a big fan of the Summer Bridge Workbook series. So I have my daughters do that each summer. They're quick. You can do 
practice in 10 to 15 minutes, and pleasure reading is also highly recommended over the summer. So James, I really thank you for your question. Hang in there. We're going to get through this, I promise. If you want to join the show, you can reach us at email, getschooledwithmrs at gmail.com, Twitter, getschooled underscore pod. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Or connect with us on email, getschooledwithmrs at gmail.com. Today's show is produced and edited by the Bearcat Group. Music by Patrick Patricios. Thanks for listening to Get Schooled with Mr. S. See you next time.